I'm Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comic books and other mediums. And on today's show, I have just such a guest. Working in both comics and in other mediums is Rachel Kilberry. Rachel is an artist who creates fantasy sci-fi illustrations and cover art portraying strong, diverse characters within fantastical and colorful worlds. Rachel works in publishing and has a BFA, and among her credits are Phantom Flight, which was in the It Was Metal anthology, and also Twisted Endings Snow White for Infected by Art, volume number six. I first interviewed Rachel at the New Jersey Comic Expo when I was a contributor for Word of the Nerd. It was Rachel's first interview, and you can hear that on episode number four of Creator Talks, Best of 2016. Currently, she has made a contribution to Cosmic Love Anthology, is doing commission sketches at conventions, and has a major life event plan coming up, and we're going to talk about that. Plus, she talks about her goals for 2019, how she sets them up, and how she keeps track of them. So for those of you who do set goals, will be interested in hearing how she sets her goals, how she keeps track of them, and how she sticks to them. And we have lots of fun when we kick back with the creator and I ask Rachel my questions. This interview is brought to you by the comic book shop at 1855 Marsh Road in Wilmington, Delaware, 19810, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. So let's get started with that major life event coming up for Rachel this year, Bob Ross, and why she decided to become an artist. Here now on Creator Talks. Rachel, welcome to Creator Talks. Hi, thank you for having me. First time we met was at the New Jersey Comic Expo back in November of 2016. It was your first interview, and it was on video. Yeah, I was really nervous. But you did fine. You did great. I'm glad you think so. (laughs) I hope this goes great, too. What's sad is that I don't think they have a New Jersey Expo anymore. There were three of them. The third one I couldn't make because of a, a family situation. So I had to cancel. The next one was going to be, I think, during the summer. And then that was canceled. And I think that's been it. So it's kind of a shame because it was close for me. I'm sure it was close for you to get to. Yeah, I think you're right about that. It it was about an hour away from me. And I would carpool with my friend. And uh, I don't think I went the third year if they had it the third year. But yeah, I definitely haven't heard anything about it since. They had a good artist alley and everything. But there were still other cons. And you've been at Baltimore. Mm-hmm. The first time we met, the name was Persephone. Now it's Kilberry. Nope, it's still Persephone. It's still Persephone. Yeah, it's uh, that's my middle name. Ah. I still go by my middle name. Okay. Yeah, the, my last name might be changing this year. I haven't decided yet, but uh, my art title will always be my first and middle. Keeps it less confusing. Yes, well, that's your brand. You know. Yes. You gotta- <laughs> yes, and it's cool. I heard you were proposed to at a Comic-Con. Yeah, I was proposed to um, the Friday at Baltimore Comic Con last year, not at the convention, but in Baltimore. It was on the pier. Oh, yeah. There. The, the waterfront there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was by the ship USS Constellation or something. Mm hmm. Did that come as a big surprise? It really did. It came as a huge surprise to me. I always thought that there would be some kind of sign or odd behavior, any kind of hint. My family would always, you know, they would make comments about it and I would tell them you know she's like don't stop stop saying those things I don't want them to think you know anyone's rushing into this you know I don't want to scare him off meanwhile he had it on his mind for a while and and another funny thing is that my friends and family actually had like a 
an informal betting circle going on and they would give me their guesses as to when he would propose and I would log it in my phone and I thought it was ridiculous, but I, I went along with it. <laughs> and as it happens, uh, my best friend who introduced us, he placed a bet for that night and he had absolutely no idea. Brian didn't tell anybody about it except for his parents who were keeping the, the ring with them so that I wouldn't find it. So other than them, and I guess my parents too, no one knew about it. And yet my friend's guess was right on the money. And I got the notification pop up on my phone that night too. Guess it wasn't a surprise to some people, but I was very much surprised. <laughs> well, that's nice. You have that memory. Mm -hmm. I screwed it up. I, I forget what exactly I did, but my wife to be knew I was going to propose because I'm kind of like, so hypothetically, you know, I'm like testing the waters, making sure everything's going to go with a yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so neither one of us were surprised. <laughs> now, a lot's happened. Things are taking off for you now with your life and your work. But let's go back to how it all began. And let's talk about how you made that decision to become an illustrator. Now, early on, since you were little, you were always drawing something. Everybody I talked to is an artist that's like, yeah, from the day I could hold a pencil yeah. or a crayon, that's what I was doing. And you remember seeing Bob Ross painting on television back then. Mm -hmm. I do. Did you read my blog? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. This is called research. I do research. <laughs> well, you did a good job. Yeah, I do remember uh, watching Bob Ross. I still enjoy watching Bob Ross. Tell me about that. I do remember also watching Bob Ross because he was such a relaxing, soothing person to listen to. He was so yeah. mellow, but so good and so quick. At the time, I think I was too young to really understand what was going on. And, and I think it was a little more of monkey see, monkey do, mm -hmm. uh, because my mom was the one set up with a canvas watching the television and she was following what he was doing. And so I took a stick and followed suit, except my canvas was the white walls of our apartment. <laughs> but I, I guess I probably thought it was pretty cool because I stuck with it on paper after that. And then now today watching him, of course, it's, it's always a treat. I understand what he's doing more now, but I'm still amazed at the quickness and how everything comes together. And it's amazing how he is still on TV and reruns. He's so popular that they made one of those pop vinyl figures of him too. Have you seen those? I have that pop vinyl figure. It comes with a raccoon, which I love because I love raccoons. It's it's right in front of me right now. And actually, Bob Ross has a Twitch channel. No, really? Yes. I learned about this just recently, and it's just blown my mind that I haven't gotten around to live streaming my art yet. But Bob Ross, who is no longer with us, has his live painting session streamed on Twitch. And you can follow him. Wow, that's amazing. He's keeping up with the times. And he's not even with us, but he's still out there. That's amazing. <laughs> yep, not just on Netflix. Now, back then, you know, you would imitate what you saw people doing with art. And you didn't know, really understand, growing up in rural New York, that, hey, you know what? This could be a profession. Right. I mean, my mom knew. She has I told you so rights forever about it. Um, she was always trying to get me to practice drawing from life, observational still lifes and whatnot. And she was right. All that was useful. And I should have been doing more of it other than her encouragement that it was a possibility. I didn't really see that for a long time. Um, I didn't see it until I got a brochure in the mail for art college, which uh, will is for a, a summer program for high school students at an art college. 
And I didn't know about art school before. I didn't know that was a thing. That was the first little light bulb that turned on in my mind. You know, oh, people teach this stuff. There's colleges about it. That must mean there's something serious to be done as a practice and as a profession. I wish they had that for every profession, a summer program, a high school summer program. Because when I went to high school, they had a career week where you could spend a week interning someplace, which isn't enough, you know, to really get a feel for it and how it goes. But I think that would change a lot of people's direction just before they get into college. Yes, I want to do this or, well, maybe not. But that's a a great program that they had. And when you were thinking about art school, you talked to your animation teacher who gave you some very good advice. And what was that advice? He taught the animation section of the summer program I attended. I did not do that. I was in the fine arts portion of the program because you had to pick a major for the program to go through. I was in fine arts. And most of my friends that I hung out with in the program were in animation. That teacher's name was Richard Harrington. He actually teaches illustration at Moore College of Art and Design. He listened to me talk about just how I wasn't feeling the fine arts. And that's not a dig at fine arts. It just wasn't, it wasn't for me. I wasn't being taught the things that I wanted to learn. The projects weren't what I wanted to do. And they didn't seem to understand what it was that I wanted to do. And so I was talking to Rich about these frustrations. He walked me down this hallway Um, and more. And it was one of the illustration classroom hallways. And so on the walls was all the work of, you know, the students from previous years and their class assignments, which ranged from concept art to book covers, pinup posters, comics, um, editorial, you know, advertising works. And a lot of it was commercial, not all of it, but a lot of it had commercial uses, but it was all content that inspired me. Uh, stories and characters, that sort of thing, and, and, and portraiture. And it was all very, uh, it was a lot less abstract. And abstract, you know, work is beautiful. And it's just not how my brain works. I kind of need to follow a bit more of a specific path of imagery to come to the conclusions that I want to come to in my pieces. And so uh, working in illustrations, everything seemed to make sense in that moment. That's the direction that I wanted to take my art in and my life in. And that's the kind of work I wanted to make. And, oh, this is how I can use that work in the real world as a career to bring in an income and contribute to the media that I like so much. Now, explain to me about that National Portfolio Review Day that you went to when you had your work looked over. And how that influenced the direction that you took as well. Oh, yeah, that was a nightmare. That was an absolute nightmare. Aside from the mishaps of just getting there on on the right day at the right time and all that. But as I said before, my, my mom did try to encourage me growing up to do more observational drawings. And once again, she was right. Um, I was not fully prepared for National Portfolio Review Day. If your portfolio is a resume for these colleges, my resume didn't look so great. You know, I didn't really have serious art classes in high school that prepared me to have the kind of skills and portfolio that a lot of these colleges expect applicants to have. So I really only had the summer program that I did in which I didn't really care for the work there. Uh, And then the time in between to pull stuff together on top of, you know, senior year of high school and and all of that that goes with that. So I didn't have the greatest portfolio. I remember I tried doing a portrait of my sister from life and some still lifes and whatnot. 
but it wasn't enough. And it was kind of humiliating because a lot of people line up waiting for their turn for portfolio review. And some of the rooms are a little more private, but some of them are just out in the open table. You know, everyone in line watches to see how the people in front of you do, what the reactions are that they get. And they would just flip, 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 and then just close my portfolio. They didn't need to see anymore and they didn't have anything to say. Um, And a couple schools gave me a little bit more time of day and they talked to me a bit. One of them gave me suggestions on what to do to improve and come back next year. But they also tried to steer me away from illustration in general because they thought that medical illustration was more lucrative. And I didn't really like that. Rich Harrington happened to be the guy performing the portfolio reviews for more, uh, which I was very excited about. That was my top choice anyway, since I had I loved my experience in the summer program, despite, you know, the classes not being quite up my artistic alley. I loved the experience. You know, he acknowledged, too, that my portfolio wasn't totally up to snuff, Um, but he actually asked to look at my sketchbook and asked me where I wanted to go, which is something the other colleges, you know, none, none of them bothered to talk to me about what I wanted to do or, you know, how hard I was willing to work. And I got into more which was great. And I got a scholarship. I'm really thankful that some good came out of the portfolio review day, because if you are not prepared, it's a very embarrassing and just a steam crushing experience. Folks who listen to the show have probably already heard this, but I had Richard and Wendy Pini on who created ElfQuest. And they had told me that people would come to their table with their portfolio for review. And some are totally unprepared. They said the best thing you can do is lay out your portfolio and say nothing. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you're doing art, sequential art, what have you, it should speak for itself. You shouldn't have to explain anything because if you have to explain it, it's not up to snuff. And some people say, oh, this isn't my best work. They close it. And it's like, well, you come back when you have your best work and then I'll look at it. That's the advice that they gave to people going to portfolio reviews at cons. Another thing I remember my martial arts teacher told me is that when an instructor stops and corrects you or gives you feedback in some way, like people with portfolio reviews would give you some advice, that's great. If they just look at you and say nothing, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. So that's what you really want is to get some feedback, something you can do something with, not just like, that's nice. Yeah. But it all worked out. Eventually, you began doing your own stuff. And when we first met, I believe you said you had a book cover coming out. Was that The Nightmares? Yes, it is The Nightmares. And that was back in 2015. That must have been exciting to finally see your work out there on a book. It is really exciting. Um, I have it on my bookshelf right now. Yeah, it, it took a long time. You know, Fino Cario is an independent author. We met and, you know, we had discussed me doing the covers for his book and eventually his series. And we were both on the same page about that. And we knew it was going to happen and one way or another. It was just a matter of him figuring out what way was best for him as an author to get his first book published. And he went through Inkshares and we got it done. And I'm actually slated to work on some future book covers for him. One, I don't want to put a timeline on it because the timeline for the first book was a little unpredictable as well. But I do know that probably within the next year, I'll be starting work on a second book cover for him. Is that something you really enjoy doing, book covers? Yes, that is, I think, my primary 
goal right now is, is to work on more book covers in the fantasy, urban fantasy genres or anthologies. I really like anthology work. Uh, but yeah, book covers is what I see myself doing the most. Now you mentioned anthologies and the advice I get from a lot of people trying to break into comics is that, hey, do something for an anthology. Don't try to write your opus or yeah. do that first. Start small. And and for you too, you've done some anthologies, Cosmic Love Anthology through Red Stilo. Enrica Jang works with them and I've spoken to her. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's great. And tell me about your contribution and why it was so special to you. That one's actually the second music-based anthology that I worked on last year. Um, which is kind of nuts how all that happened around the same time. But the Cosmic Love Anthology, Red Stilo, I happened to table next to them at Baltimore Comic-Con a couple of years ago. And I was actually a big fan of a lot of the stuff that they published. I just had never been around it personally to interact with them. I didn't realize it was all the same group. I didn't realize it was all published under the same group. Um, so I was very, very excited to see that I was tabling next to all these books that I actually really loved. Some of it I hadn't read yet, but I was very excited about. But I love what they put out, the content, not just their music anthologies, but just all their really neat ideas they put together. I'm particularly a big fan of their music anthologies. I thought their Queen one was excellent. Uh, and they had one in tribute to Lana Del Rey called Baroque Pop. And I just saw that and I thought, hmm, well, if they're, they do stuff like this, they might be interested in Florence and the Machine. And I happen to be a very big Florence and the Machine fan. So I'd, I had to bring it up. I thought it would work really well in the about CD size format comic that they did Baroque Pop in. I thought it would go really well with the current anthology that they had. And so I brought it up to the person who was at the table great guy named Chuck. And he said, you know, that's a great idea. You should pitch it to Enrica. I think she'd really like it. And she wasn't at the table at the time. Um, but she did come back to the table and we were introduced and I mustered up the courage uh, because who am I, you know, to tell someone what they should publish. Um, but I, I mustered up the courage to give an unsolicited suggestion <laughs> And she loved it, to my great surprise. I was not expecting anything to come out of it, but she loved the idea, and she called Jenny Wood, the editor, on the phone to see if she also liked the idea, and she loved it too. And just like that, they said they would make it one of their next anthologies. They said, since I gave them the idea that they wanted to include me, I'm in the creation and development of it. And they allowed me the opportunity to create all the vignettes, one of which was also used for the cover for the anthology, which I'm, I'm just so blown away by the opportunity that they generously gave to me to work on this. It's definitely a, one of those little dream come true moments. You also had a chance to see Florence in the Machine live. I did for the first time. I got to see her um, last fall in Philly. And I was right in front, too, which it was it was a very surreal thing for me. She's a wonderful performer, as wonderful as I, as I thought she would be live. Her voice is phenomenal and her stage presence is just grandiose. And she's just ethereal all around. It's great. That's great you have a project like that you worked on tied to music that you enjoy so much. And you did a second one. It was metal. And that one, I've actually had uh, Josh and Chris on the show. And we talked about the book 
and uh, that's the comic book is based on their album. It was metal, and there's it's an anthology. Each song is in the book. There's a story behind each one, and you did contribute to that book, and you did work on a project there as well. Uh, you worked on Phantom Flight, and that was written by Joss and Jeremiah, and Bob Hall did the art. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, a, because Jeremiah is my best friend, and B, Josh and the Sound of Thunder are amazing people. I always love running into them. And Bob Hall drew Shadow Man, which is Jeremiah's and my favorite Valiant character. Big fans. To work on something with all of those people was a real treat. I did get a chance to see A Sound of Thunder, actually, early January. I went with my son. And I was right up front. <laughs> oh, to their concert? Yeah. I've never had a chance to go. I'm always like too busy or just too tired at conventions to make it out when they do shows um, those weekends. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, this was in January and this was at, a, at the Auto Bar. So uh, it was a bunch of bands. And I was like, well, let's all go down for the night, you know, the whole family. And then I'll take my son to the concert. And uh, it's like they had like five bands and they were the last one. So they got on like 1030. <laughs> And my son's like, I'm going to go home. I'm like, no, <laughs> we're going to watch the band. It was a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh, it was so much fun. And he still talks about it. Can we do another concert? I figured he'd like it. They're great people. It was a great book. And what a great honor to work with Bob Hall. You oh, know, yeah. Because we're both Shadow Men fans. Sadly, that book is uh, wrapping up. The arc is finishing. Have you been following it at all? I haven't. I purchased, well, I usually purchase, you know, at least the first couple issues that come out and then typically what happens is I buy a lot of issues and they stack up and I don't get around to reading them and I wonder two things a why I haven't read them yet and also b why do I keep buying <laughs> books and, and issues that I, I know I can't get to um, but I, I actually prefer to read comics in graphic novel collection format I just prefer you know a sturdier book than the issue so uh, more often than not, I wait until the book comes out, the collected trade, and then I'll catch up on it then. Sometimes, sometimes I don't, but that's generally how it's been going. I can understand that. I know they need the single copy sales to sustain the book, but I find that with Valiant, they'll run a series for a while, then they'll stop it, and it'll come back later on. They just find stopping points and say, okay, let's give us a rest for a bit. So I'm sure at some point... We'll see more Shadow Man again in the future. So I'm not worried about that. Yeah, me neither. But I'm the same with my comic book list. You know, if things sit in the pile too long, let's say I have a very reasonable little stack now each week. And I want to sit down and enjoy what I read. I don't want to be like, I have to get this done. I have to get all these finished because next week's books are coming in. And if something fell the bottom of the pile and I didn't read it till the following week or the week after that, then I'm like, okay, why am I getting this? If I'm waiting, maybe I want to read it all in one shot as a trade, or maybe it's time to move on to something else. So yeah, we all kind of go through that. Now, other work, Infected by Art, you contributed to that as well. You did a piece called Twisted Endings Snow White. Tell me about that. So a couple of years ago, I did a mentorship class through Smarter Art School with Dan Dos Santos. Uh, it actually wasn't an assignment. Um, I mean, technically, I, I did it in the class, but... The last assignment I wasn't too interested in, so we came up with something else for me to do. And the thought was, I enjoy fairy tales, grim fairy tales, and anthologies. So to come up with a piece that maybe could be used as an anthology cover or an illustration for one of those stories. And I came up with this scribbling as I do. My sketches are actually quite sloppy. And I, and I came up with this idea of the evil queen in Snow White but being a bit more fantastical and having multiple arms, kind of like a spider and, and in the illustration, each hand, each arms interacting with just another piece of symbolism from the story. And she's holding up the magical mirror that shows 
her vision of beauty that she wants to have, she holds it up and kind of that's how she shows the world. I started that in the class um, and I ended up finishing it after the class because it was right at the end. I, I ran out of time, but I did end up finishing it up and submitting it to Infected by Art Volume 6, which it got in. And it was also an honorary mention at the Philistration Show in 2017. And when you table at cons, do you have prints of these available at the con? I do. I've been focusing a little bit more on personal work recently. And so you'll find a lot more of those non-fan art pieces in print form at the shows I do. And you also do commissions at shows. And you've been pretty busy. Yeah. I told myself I had to get over this fear of drawing in public and I'm still not great at it. You know, it causes me a lot of anxiety. So I feel like in person, anything I do might come with a little little extra shakiness or take me a little longer. But I'm working on being more comfortable and being able to work a little faster so I can squeeze more commissions into the day. But yeah, I've been very pleasantly surprised at the interest for at show sketch commissions. Um, that's all I do right now. I'm keeping it just to head and bus sketch commissions because I think that's all my anxiety can handle uh, in <laughs> front of a mass amount of people. But that's been going really well and I've been having a lot of fun with it. And I'm I'm actually very surprised at some of the requests that come through. There's characters that you never hear of or some things that aren't even comic related and I have a lot of fun seeing what people are interested in and seeing from me. Oh, what's the most unusual request you've had so far for a sketch? Well, this might have been a miscommunication or a misinterpretation of what the person meant. But at AwesomeCon a couple years ago, I was asked to sketch sorrow. And I wasn't really sure what that meant. I asked, you know, for clarification. I was like, sorrow? Like, you know, sadness? Like the emotion? And she said, yes, that's that's what she wanted. Um, so it was a more abstract idea. Uh, and I thought I came up with something pretty cool for it. And she seemed to like it when she picked it up. Although looking back on it afterwards, there's this movie called Inside Out, which I still haven't seen, even though I hear it's great. But there's always this part of me that wondered if maybe she meant the character sadness from that movie. But maybe she really did mean just, you know, the abstract emotion interpreted as I did. Did you try to read body language? Like, did you see a frown or? I was trying to read, but it, it's, um, she was a bit hard to read that one, but she didn't seem to dislike it. Now you are like me, a goal oriented person. So you said goals for each year. So tell me for 2019, what are your goals and what do you have that you're working on that we can perhaps see this year? Let me open up my goal sheet. Look at this. You're so organized. Oh, look, the only thing left on my daily goal list, interview with Chris. <laughs> I can check that check off. That off. <laughs> so I have a lot of goal lists, to-do lists. I try to think more generally and then funnel down to specifics. So, you know, I have my long-term goals, which some are a little more vague, but then I take those ideas and I create actionable step-by-steps in order to get there. So in 2019, I want to send at least five emails to really small book publishers. I'm working towards doing more work in book publishing, whether that be with small publishers or independent authors. I just, I'd really like to get some more work in that arena. Comics are great too, but just trying to diversify more. I would like to 
make more online sales. I, I would really like to start a Patreon. So perhaps look for that later this year. That is a goal. I have it on here. I keep staring at it. Um, I would also like to have 2,000 Instagram followers, create an exercise habit, read at least 10 books, and somehow bring my student loans down significantly. And then, of course, you have the whole wedding checklist because at the same time, I am planning a wedding. But yeah, it's just, you know, health things like the floss more, all those <laughs> Those popular That's New Year's resolutions, yeah. floss more, exercise more, and then just keep plucking away at my portfolio pieces, my Instagram, start a Patreon, keep the, you know, the freelance wheel going. That's good to try to read more books, too. I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying to take it like a chapter a day, you know, in small bites rather than I got to finish this book because it's tough. Yeah. I'm like, I want to read this. Oh, but I want to read this. And then I get a stack of books. I'm just trying to say, okay, get the one, read a chapter at a time. I can find time to read one chapter. I'm waiting for one of the kids to finish their math tutoring classes, or I'm waiting for oil to get changed or something. You know, there's always that downtime, even if it's like first thing in the morning. I have this this other list. Like I said, I get really microscopic with my goals, starting big and, and getting specific. So I also have this other list that I title daily goals. And I, well, I keep all my lists on my phone just so I have it with me at all times. But um, part of my problem, I think, with these goals, exercise more, exercise every day or whatever, paint every day, as awesome as that would be, you know, life gets in the way. And sometimes your day just is not going to work for all the goals and things you want to do. And then you're, if you think about it, where say that you want to do something every day, I feel like if you miss a day, there's this guilt. So I've started thinking um, every day, just picking three things that if I do those three things, I will consider it a successful day. And so like for reading, I, I try to keep it small. I just have like read 20 pages or exercise and sketch. I rotate the three things that I pick every day based on what I think my schedule will allow for. And I think that helps me chip away at things without feeling just the guilt or the pressure that life can sometimes put on. Very good point. I feel the same way. If I put too many things on my plate, then you, you do feel guilty when you miss one and the pressure. It becomes less of a pleasure to do certain things when it's like, okay, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. It becomes like a checklist every day and I get too much stress over it. So I try to make it reasonable. If you miss a day with something, that's okay. You know, just next day, get back on it. That's what happens with a lot of people when they try to exercise or diet. Oh, I missed a day. Then they just give up. That happens to everybody. Can't be helped. You get sick. Life gets in the way, but should always press on. Exactly. As an artist... What's the biggest challenge that you face and how do you overcome that? Now, we talked about public art, you know, a little nervous about that. And you're working on that. You're doing the head sketch, something that you can contain, you know, something reasonable that you can handle at a con. What else is a challenge for you as an artist and how do you handle that? Right now, I think my biggest challenge has to do with working a full-time day job while also balancing freelance and personal work outside. My challenge becomes finding the motivation and the self-discipline, I guess, to keep up with the practice every day when you're tired, similarly to what we were just talking about. So I think just finding the time, making the time really, uh, despite being not in the mood or tired is my biggest hurdle right now, especially not being in the mood. You know, after the holidays, I feel like things, it, it takes a little bit of time to get back on track. I found myself somewhat recently in a bit of an art block. When I get in art blocks, where just things are just not working. I just do studies 
practice sketches. Um, I sketch faces and, and things because I feel like that eliminates the what do I draw or I have this thing I want to draw and my idea isn't coming through. It takes that away and makes it really simple. It's like, you know, draw this apple, draw this face you found on Pinterest. That's it. Just draw it. And I find that that helps me just getting my pencil moving. It keeps the gears turning in my head. It kind of gets it jump started a bit and it helps me segue into working on what I actually want to work on while getting practice in at the same time. Yeah, I know you post stuff on your Instagram. It might be like, it's lunchtime and you're working on something, you know? It's like, I mean, yeah. if you really have no place to go or nothing to do, depending on where you work, I mean, there's some place I could go, like a park would be nearby, but if there wasn't, well, I might as well make this time useful. Like, I'll read something, you know? That's great. That's a great way to handle it. Well, now I have questions to ask all my guests. I call this kicking back with the creator just to learn more about you as a person. Not necessarily as an artist, but if art is part of it, that's perfectly fine. So we talked about all your goals, your checklists, to-do lists, keeping busy. What do you do for rest and relaxation? Rest and relaxation. Well, I've been reading a lot more, which is great. I used to be such a bookworm in high school, and then college happened, and now I'm getting right back into it. So happily, I can say that I've been reading in my spare time, having a lot of fun with that. Um, I hang out with my cat and my fiance. You know, we binge the Netflix. Um, and I also I play video games. I'm very excited because today Kingdom Hearts 3 released and I have that paused and on mute on the TV. <laughs> so I can tell you that as soon as this interview is over, that is exactly what I will be doing. Art might take a wee bit of a backseat this week because my excitement is very high for this game. But yeah, reading video games, you know, watching TV, um, I enjoy an occasional sit-down game of backgammon or card games, rummy, things like that. Okay, that's the present. Now let's stick back to the past. Any birthday that you had, which one stands out in your mind and why? It doesn't have to be your favorite. It is one that you remember very distinctly. I remember a couple birthdays distinctly. I'll admit, not for great reasons, so I won't. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about those. Well, actually, I can think of a lot of birthdays I can remember for not so, like, happy reasons. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, oh, no, it's fine. It's just, like, when I think of what stands out to me. Just for example, I was, for some reason, I was devastated when I turned 20. And so my friends were awesome in college. You know, it was my birthday, midnight. They knock on my door. And they're so excited because it's my birthday and I'm just a mess because I turned 20. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I had a lot of good birthdays. One that stands out to me when I was really little, my mom goes above and beyond. She's amazing. Going above and beyond applied to birthdays as well. And one time when I was really little, I don't remember what age, but she made this cake. It was a caterpillar cake. So like the cake was made of round segments that formed a caterpillar and she made little candy legs and antenna and it was covered in, I think, coconut, which is funny because I, I don't like coconut, um, but maybe I did back then. Uh, and so it looked like it was a furry, friendly caterpillar of sorts. And that was really fun. I've heard that answer where mom would make a really nice cake for one of my guests and they remember that distinctly. That's really cool. I think I got she cake. She cake? <laughs> I don't no, think I'm that fancy. My my mom, no, she would she would cringe at the word sheet cake. It sounds so appetizing. Now thinking back to middle school, what posters and or pictures did you place on the bedroom wall? I don't know. I don't know if I want to think about it. It's probably really embarrassing. 
Oh, we all have those. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm thinking good Charlotte. I, at one point, I had a poster of Van Margera on the wall. Um, Avril Lavigne. I had, um, oh, I still have this. Uh, I had some Rammstein posters. At one point, I would get these, you know, teen magazines, and they always had these, like, posters you could pull out and put on the walls. And I remember at one point in time, I had never seen, because I, I grew up without TV, I had never seen an episode of Friends in my life at that point. But, you know, that was the last season of Friends. It was a big deal. And this magazine had posters of all the characters. And so I put them on my wall for the sake of it, I guess. I had Heath Ledger on my wall. I had a bunch of Batman posters on my wall. It was a hodgepodge of stuff. This is hypothetical. You're stuck on a deserted island. And you can take one book with you. And this is for pleasure. Don't worry about survival books or anything like that. This is something you want to read to help pass the time Maybe to make you feel better, but what is that one book, your Desert Island book? My Desert Island book. One book, not a series. My favorite book is American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Oh, okay. It used, yeah, it used to be Wuthering Heights, but Neil Gaiman's writing is phenomenal, and I'm, I was blown away by American Gods. And I feel like that's a book I could read over and over again on a desert island and probably still pick up on new things each time now have you seen the series i think it's on showtime i've seen the first season i think the second one is out or coming out soon i'm sure i'll catch up on it at some point i i don't think i'm itching to watch it as much as i was before the first season came out it was interesting but i don't think it was bad it was just um i think loving the book so much i don't want to spoil anything but there's just a couple things that they did differently in the show that I guess wasn't my cup of tea. But there were also some things they did in the show that I really liked, um, like that leprechaun guy whose name I can't think of right now. I really enjoyed his character. And the main character, I like the shadow. I like who they cast as, as shadow. And well, the, the casting was good, actually, in that I enjoyed that very much. So, you know, for me, a little bit of a, a mixed bag. I think that also could just be me coming from a place of loving the book a lot. That happens. I read the comic series for a few issues, maybe like five or six, and I believe David Mack did the covers, and they were gorgeous. The comic, uh, I wasn't really that into it. It was a lot to take in. I probably would like the book better. Oh, you've never read it. No, I haven't. I mean, of course, I'm familiar with it. Everybody talks about it, but I've never read it. Well, there's another one, chapter a day. Yep, you'd be in for a treat. Now, another hypothetical. They say, Rachel, we're going to make an action figure of you for the next con. We're going to sell these. What would be your accessory? Oh, man. How much time do I have to think about this? Okay, wow. The first thing that came to mind, I haven't thought of this in years, and yet it's the first thing that came to mind. Well, actually, does a cat count as an accessory? Oh, yeah. We allow pets, animals. Sure. Okay. Then probably my accessory should be my cat, Lilith, my cute little kitty. But actually, just so you know, the very first object that came to my mind is a flaming spatula. And... <laughs> Okay, I haven't thought of this in the longest time, but in middle school, that used to be like my pretend weapon of choice was a flaming spatula. And at one point we had made a spatula with like a, we used paper and markers and we cut out flames and we taped it to the back of it because it was just funny at the time. And I haven't thought of that in forever. And that was the first thing that popped to my mind, but it doesn't seem very relevant to anything. <laughs> I've never had that answer. No. Maybe that. Probably my cat would make more sense. Okay. This will probably bring back memories too. What is the oddest job you've ever had? Maybe my current job working <laughs> for a comic book publisher. That's, um, I guess, unusual. It's pretty neat. 
A lot of my other jobs were standard. I worked at a deli briefly, never again. Um, I I worked at a library all throughout college, and I also helped with event rentals, and that was enjoyable. I was a resident assistant. You know what? That's my answer. I was a resident assistant in college, which that job itself isn't so unusual, but the things that happen, highly, highly unusual. I've put salt lines down and covered them with tape so that it wouldn't budge to soothe a supposedly haunted room. Are you kidding me? In college? Yeah, I did that. And how were the salt lines supposed to work? Well, you know, if something's haunted, you sage a, a room or you, I think salt is supposed to act as some kind of spiritual barrier to keep things in or out. So the idea was we were going to keep it out by not letting it cross the doorway. The blue painter's tape was put down to assure that it would not be broken. Well, I've learned something and now I know that in case I wind up in a haunted hotel or something like that. Oh, don't take my word for it. I am no <laughs> professional. <laughs> I just did what I what I could. Now, what's your opinion? What do you think was the best film ever made? Any genre you want. One that you just love. I don't care if anybody else loves it, but you love it. This is such a bad question for me. My fiance is a film buff, cinema snob or whatever they're called. Um, and I feel like I get picked out a lot for some movies that I like. This is really, really hard for me. I'm, I'm pulling, but I will say I loved the Mad Max Fury Road as just a work of conceptual art is what I feel like that whole movie is. And it's wonderful. I also love the movie Drive. I didn't like it the first time I watched it because I had no warning. I had no idea what it was about. No idea how violent it was going to get. So I think when I first watched it, I was in shock. Um, but now it's one of my favorite movies. You know, actually, what my favorite movie is, my one favorite, I'm not going to say it. it's it's not the best film ever made, but my favorite movie that I could watch forever, my island movie. It's Pride and Prejudice with Karen Knightley. I don't think I can be a judge of best movie. I can tell you Coco was one of the best animated films I've ever seen. If anyone hasn't seen it, they need to go see that. That's phenomenal. That I've seen, and I did see Mad Max. I did enjoy that. I actually went to movies by myself. I said, I was watching The Avengers, and I said, ooh, Mad Max is here too. I said, my wife, I'm going back tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to go see the movie. And I really had a good time with it. It's kind of long, and I can understand why some people, it might not be their cup of tea for a movie, but I think just watching it as an artist, I was thinking, this is like... If someone took one of my paintings and just pulled that concept out into a film and put the art just panel by panel up on the screen, I thought it was really cool. And final question, when you're relaxing, what is your beverage of choice? Hmm. Raspberry Land O'Lakes hot chocolate. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Or water. <laughs> Two extremes. <laughs> the hot chocolate is more interesting. Yeah. A raspberry hot chocolate, those uh, Land O'Lakes packages that you can buy individually. I buy them in bulk off of Amazon and I consume that on the regular. You can take those anywhere. You can take it to work, take it on trips. You always have that comfort food with you. I have a hard time with like using water, so I have to have milk on hand too. And heat. You need a heat source. I lied. There's one more question cons that you have planned that you'll be appearing at where people can see your work and say hi and maybe have a sketch done. I've mentioned a couple times already, uh, not to sound like a broken record, but I am getting married later this year. So that actually between just saving up for it and I mean, it takes a lot to plan one of these things. I'm not a party goer. And so planning a big party is very stressful. <laughs> um, so actually that is 
for 2019 anyway, that's cutting into my convention going a bit. I always love to do Baltimore Comic Con and I really, really don't want to miss it. I'm currently registered. I'm currently planning on going to it. However, our wedding is at the beginning of October. Ooh. And yeah, and so just the date that it's at this year, depending on what the honeymoon is. So there's a chance I won't be able to make it to Baltimore this year. But, you know, it, it's in mind. I, I really don't want to miss Baltimore. So hopefully Baltimore Comic Con at the end of the year, there's a chance that I might make an appearance at Camden Comic Con. That's a good one day show. I've been looking for more one day shows that are in the area that I can add to my yearly convention tour list and also to kind of make up for the lack of larger conventions that I'm doing this year. Yeah, keep it local, easy to get to, you know, manageable. And hey, wedding planning. I didn't plan a wedding. I just showed up. I can't take any credit for it whatsoever, but I know it is a huge undertaking. So I understand if that's where most of your efforts going to have to go this year. <laughs> Perfectly understandable. Well, congratulations on the engagement. And Rachel, thanks so much for being on Creator Talks. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Okay, folks, coming up next week is Danish artist Pelle Schmidt. He is the writer and artist of an upcoming book, Stiletto, number one, Officer Down, one of three in a series he has coming out through Lion Forge, and issue one comes out on March 27th. You may have seen Pale's work before on Thomas Alsop, created and written by Chris Miskovich, and was published through Boom Studios back in 2014. Pale is also a fellow podcaster, so we'll talk about that and about this crime series coming up, Stiletto number one, Officer Down. I hope you're enjoying my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age comics. I've been branching out with more DC, so be seeing more of that down the road, plus some more of my Marvel Treasury editions that I found some more in my storage space, so I'll be showing those to you in the weeks ahead. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. Please share your Silver Age and Bronze Age comics with me. And if you would like to email me, you can reach me through contact at creatortalks.com. That's contact at creatortalks.com. As always, this show is available through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. Why not? It's free. And if you have a chance, please leave a rating or star review on iTunes. And hey, while you're in there, please rate and review another podcast that you really enjoy. Let others know about it. It helps me and those podcasts stand out from all the podcasts that are listed in iTunes. It makes them easier to find. And finally, thank you once again to the comic book shop at 1855 Marsh Road at the Plaza 3 Shopping Center in Wilmington, Delaware, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. I appreciate them sponsoring the show, and I get all my comic books there, especially the ones that you see in my social media posts on Saturday and Sunday. So thank you for listening to the podcast this week. I know you have a lot of things to choose from. Thank you for making the time to listen to this show. And hey, multitask. Do it while you're doing something you don't like to do. I guarantee you, it'll make it more fun. Enjoy your comics this week. Be good to one another. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time. <laughs>